Good morning, everybody. Today we'll be learning Bezat Hashem, Daf Mem Ches, in Mesechah Pesachim. And we begin, astonishingly, on Daf Mem Ches. The first wide line. Wait, no, the second wide line. Yeah, the second wide line. Yesterday, you might recall, we were talking about the Machlokas of Chista and Rabbah. What's their Machlokas? The Machlokas is that Rav Chista thinks that you could prepare from Yontif to Shabbos, mi Iker Hadin. And that the whole idea of Erev Tafshilin is just a Heker der Abanan. That's Rav Chista. Rabbah holds, they both hold La Lacha that you could prepare from Yontif to Shabbos. Rav Chista thinks it's because mi Iker Hadin you'll have to prepare from Yontif to Shabbos. Rabbah says, no, you can't prepare from Yontif to Shabbos, mi Iker Hadin. It's just that we hold of the principle of Hoel. We hold of the principle of Hoel Vikle Orkin. That is the first idea. That's the, 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 um, idea. So then we went through a whole bunch of proofs that they tried to bring back and forth. And one of the last proofs that they tried to bring was this idea of the, the individual that commits, that does one act and commits five, uh, Lavin, whereby he gets five sets of Malkas. It's very, very interesting. And so at the end, we said, what did this individual do? He cooked what? Gid Hanasha. He cooked Gid Hanasha in milk. And in so doing, he violated five different things. Now, we struggle to find what the fifth thing was. And that's where we leave off. Now, two of the fifth of the five things were cooking and eating Giranasha, or cooking and eating basar b'chalav. Now we know, Barry asked yesterday, that there is an iser to cook, eat, and have hanaf from basar b'chalav. So I had to go through the experience of asking Rabbi Gross and looking like a fool, because I asked Barry's question, and Rabbi Gross says, that's the nekuda hanifla of the Rambam. Now, now, now you, in fairness, I didn't learn in brisk. Rabbi Gross learned in Brisk. You don't go to Brisk and then come out not knowing what the Nakuda and the flaw of the Rambam is. No, no, no. Rabbi Gross is, is, a, is a Brisker. Anyway, so the point is, uh, and, uh, should we be embarrassed or should we be proud of ourselves that we hit on the Nakuda and the flaw of the Rambam without going to Brisk? See that? Okay. That's number one. Number two, um, we talked about at the end, and this is where we pick up, the idea that it's muktza. We ended up not being able to use uh, some, some of the, right, some of the other suggestions as we searched for our fifth Avera. So he said, well, maybe the, tr- the um, wood, the firewood that you used for the lighting of the cooking of the Gid Anashem of was muktza. We said, well, that only makes sense if muktza is Deoraisa. Then you remember at the end, we talked about internal versus external muksa. We said, okay, so the, the, the muksa is the orisa. And when we talk about the internal the, and the and external, um, muksa, it turned out that according to Raba, muksa is the orisa. By the way, by the way, this is, this has a name. Yesterday I said, can you believe this? Raba holds that muksa is the orisa. Who ever heard of such a thing? It's from the Pasuk of Echino Asher Heviu. Well, if for anybody who learned like the first page in Masechus Beitza, that's called Hachana de Rabba. <laughs> that also has a very famous name. Everybody's aware of Hachana de Rabba because a lot of people in yeshiva have managed to learn 
some point, the first page of Beitza. So it's a very famous concept that Rabbi holds, in fact, of Muktza being Midor Raisa. It's more involved in that, but that, that, that's, that's the issue. If you want to hear, um, on why you tell they have Simon Wolf expounding greatly on the difference between Hoel, which is what we've been discussing, and Mitoch. There's a Ritosvus that says, uh, great difference. The, what Rashi's position is, is, is unclear. So, with this, without further ado, we get into the word ve'od over here. What is happening here? Well, hachana deraba. We just said the idea that muktzah is deraisa, right? Was it was a was a point that was made earlier in order to say that it possibly is the fifth avera in that case. So before we go further, the Gemara wants to challenge uh, that idea directly as follows: ve'od. Okay, if you say that you're going to get Malchus for using the Muktza wood on Yantiv, not only do you have the issue that we said yesterday of the wine and the, and the suggestion that the, that the Muktza is in fact a Derabanan, or at least an external aspect, but you also have another problem if you say that Muktza is Deraisa, because Ha'atu de'amret chiluk melachas l'shabes ve'ein chiluk melachas l'yantiv. Aha. Okay, well... Our case was a mevashel gdi bechalav beyantiv, right? In that case, it was mevashel gdi on yantiv. Okay, so again, if you have malchus for eating basar bechalav and for cooking basar bechalav, and right for for the averos, the five averos that you do, if one of them is a malacha or more than one of them is a malacha, that would be a problem. Why? Because the case was on yantiv, and we. Remember from Masechus Shabbos very, very well the idea of Chiluk Malachos, right? The idea of Chiluk Malachos, look at Rashi over here. It's the last wide line. Right? That is, right, very counterintuitive to us because we learned Masechus Shabbos so we know the Chiluk Malachos was on Dafai and Gimel and beyond was a huge idea. We said, why are we even telling us that there's such a thing as Malachos? Why are we learning the 39 Malachos? So we asked that question multiple times in Masech Shabbos, and we said, well, we want to know because there's Chiluk Malachos. You're going to get multiple sets of right, punishments. If you do it Meshogeg, you're going to get multiple Korbanos Chatos, etc. However, by Yantiv, you don't have this idea of Chiluk Malachos. As Rashi says, Yantiv Kaiminan, right? Right? Out of the five Averos, Aside from eating and cooking the Gid Anasha, there is also Malachas in there. There is the Bishel of the Gid Anyantiv. And so once you have that, you can't have Muktzah because we don't have Chilak Malachas, which means you can't get two sets of Malchus for one activity Anyantiv in the same way that you do on Shabbos. So that's Abaye's, uh, point with regards to the idea that you're uh, violating a Malacha de Oraisa. Okay. So now, in light of those issues, questions, Rabbah is going to revise the Brisa. Okay, and the Brisa says as follows: El Apek Havara Ve'ayel Atzei Hashera. Right. So again, the Brisa quoted five averas that you're doing. One of the averas is Havara, but we have the issue of Chiluk Malachos, so we're going to take it out. Before we took it out, and we said it's Muktza. Now we're going to say, okay, so it's not Muktza, it's not Havara. Right? Havara got into the issues of Hoel, so we're going to just say a different avera altogether, a different avera in Gansen, as they used to say in Laurelton. So the Avera is Atzei Asherah. Avodah you're not allowed to have any Hanah, and you're not allowed to use Atzei Asherah. So if the firewood is Atzei Asherah, clearly that's going to be an Isser. 
And anytime you have an Isser and you, and, and in order to get Malchus, you need to have the Azar in the Torah. It needs to be a Lav. So what's the Lav of Atzei that would incur Malchus? You shouldn't touch, well, not, right? You shouldn't take anything from, uh, anything that's cherem, that's banned. What's going on here? Well, the Rambam learns in Hilchas Zarah. There's no right here to explain it, but the, the, the article hooks it up. The Rambam learns from this Pasuk that that's the Pasuk that says you can't have Hana from, from any Avodah Zarah. So, the Rambam uh, takes this Gemara, presumably, and from here he understands that that's where you, you have the Isar Na on Avodah Zara. However, uh-huh. If you look later in Hilchas Avodah Zara, the Rambam, you see an amazing idea that anybody who gets Hana from Avodah Zara actually has, has two Averos. One is the lo yidbak biyarcha, and the other one is the second pasuk. Even if you're not doing it in your house, right? Birnbaum wants to know, what if he didn't uh, cook this in his house? I said, Birnbaum, the pasuk says beisecha, but that doesn't mean that you have to do it in your house. It's just two psukim to teach you that you get two avers, two violations for any time you get hana from, right, Avodah which means that anytime you use Atzei Asher, let's say, and you get the Hanah from it, you're going to get two sets of Malkus. That's the point, right? If there's two Lavin, it's two sets of Malkus, which would give, bring you, so if that was in fact the case, if this individual, in his doing uh, the activity that incurred all these Malkus, did use, did use in fact Atzei Asher, he would in fact get six sets of Malkus, not five, and the Bryce says five. So that's the kasha. The kasha is you can't take out, you can't say that it's avara, you can't say that it's muktza, you can't say that it's atzei asherah. So what are we going to do? So the gemara concludes ela apek havara the ayel atzei hekdesh. Okay, so it's not havara, right? The bryce said avara. That's why that's the one we keep taking out. But we, we say take out havara, um, and then substitute it not with muktza or with asherah, but with hekdesh. Okay, a hekdesh has an iser. How so? Ve'azara mehacha says the Gemara. Ve'ashrein tisrefun ba'esh lo sasun kein la'shem elokechem. Aha. So wait a minute. That pasuk is also talking about an ashera. What's going on here? How is this hekdesh? So don't be confused because that pasuk it also right uh, has a latter part of the pasuk of lo sasun kein la'shem elokechem, which is referring to hekdesh. That's the point. So the point is that we have a Pasuk to teach you that Hekdesh and this is only one Pasuk. And so if you misappropriate Hekdesh, right, it's essentially um, Me'ila, right? And basically from that Pasuk we learn a Lav, because it says Lo Sasun Kein La Hashem Lokechem. And from that Lav you're going to get Malchus for using the trees of Hekdesh. So now that we've concluded that that's the fifth of set of Malkus, that's the fifth of Era. We're going to circle it right back to the conundrum of our Mishnah, amazingly enough, right? The Machlokas, Rabban Ravchista, and Rami Barchama, our famous Rami Barchama, who Shir Schmidtman did her PhD thesis on, comes to make an amazing suggestion. Do you remember what our Mishnah said? Our Mishnah had a conundrum. It said what? Ketzad Mafrishin Chala Betuma Biyantiv. That sound feels like a year ago. So Kate said, "My Frishin Chala Okay, 
How are you supposed to do this? So if you might recall, Rabbi Eliezer said, bake it. Rabbi Eliezer in our Mishnah said, bake the challahs without being mafresh. What was the issue again? Just go briefly, briefly over the conundrum. You have, you have you're breaking your matzahs. You have to be mafresh challah. But it's already yontiv. So if you bake it, then you might, and you know that for sure you're going to be separating out. This is important. The most common thing to do is you have a whole bunch of matzahs, and you take one of the matzahs and you give it to the coin, right? That's going to be how you're going to be mafresh challah. In theory, you could take each matzah and take a piece from each matzah and give it to the coin and challah that way. But that's not what people usually do. People usually give one whole matzah to the coin. That's going to become very significant here momentarily. Okay, now. If you're giving a full matzah to the Kohen, that means that the matzah that you baked for the Kohen, it's Tameh, right? This is Tameh dough. You can't give that to the Kohen. So the problem is that you are actually baking something that is inedible, right? It, on Yantiv. And that cannot be done because you're only supposed to be baking something edible. So how are you going to do it? So Rabbi Eliezer said, don't designate the Chalaya. Designate it later. So that at least at the baking stage, you're not being over an Avera. At the baking stage, it's going to be good. Rabbi Yeshua said, you know what? Don't bake it at all. You don't want to be over on this Isser of baking something inedible and let it rise. Let it rise. That's, that's insane. It's Pesach. How are you supposed to let it rise? So, right? So they had suggestions like pour cold water on it. Don't let it rise. That's one suggestion. Another suggestion is, well, let it rise because it's the coins anyway. It's not yours. Right, and then we got into that discussion. But in, and it fundamentally, right, the question was, can you bake it like Rabbi Yezza says, or not like Rabbi Yeshua? So Rami Barham is going to take everything we've discussed and try to knead it together as follows. Amar Rami Barham, Hader of Chista Rabba, the machlokas that we started uh, today's shear with of Chista Rabbas, whether whether we say right hoel or not. Remember, Rabba says hoel. That is the machlokas to Rabbi Yezza, Rabbi Yeshua he. That's the Machlokas Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Shua in our Gemara. Wow. How so? Do Rabbi Eliezer suffer Amin and Hoel? Aha. Because Rabbi Eliezer, who says you could bake these matzahs, right, is going to say that we hold of Hoel. What does Hoel since mean in this context? In this context, it means like this, that since you theoretically could separate out challah from each individual matzah that you're baking, that means that every matzah that you're baking is legitimately baked, is L'tzarech Yantiv. So, and, and, right? and then, once again, if you're going to take out a piece from one of the matzahs and give it to the coin, then the entire cooking of the matzah is okay. As Rashi explains, right? That would be like shechting an animal, right? When you shecht an animal to eat a kazayas of meat, as we learned, you're allowed to do that. You don't have to eat all of the meat in order to, the, to justify shechting the animal. So similarly here, because of the fact even though, the point is, as Rashi points out, even though you're going to probably give just one mat to the coin, the hoil here is that since, the theoretical hoil is since you could theoretically take out pieces of matzah and give that as challah, so therefore you can bake all of these matzahs. That's hoil. But Yeshua, who's not going to let you bake the matzahs and want you to let the dough rise on its own, right, and give a different suggestion on how to get out of this conundrum, he doesn't hold of hoil, and that's why he is going to say that you cannot 
actually bake the matzahs. This is Rashi, right? Yeshua, the Rebbe Leezer, I oil, says Rashi, Afagav de Sofa lahafresh achas man lechala, even though ultimately we know that he's going to probably just give a full matzah to the coin, right? And if that were the case, it turns out retroactively that he actually was baking a inedible matzah, that if he had wanted to, he could have, in fact, not just been mafresh just one challah, but he could have given pieces from each individual challah, thus justifying the baking of all of the challahs. So that's the application, the incredible chiddushi uh, of Rami Barachama, the application of oil to the machlokas in our Mishnah. Wow. Okay, well, that book puts it all together. However, Rav Papa blows it up and says, no, that, our, that Rabbi Yezer, right, who holds that you can bake the matzah, doesn't necessarily hold so because of oil. And Rabbi Yeshua, who holds you can't bake the matzah, it's not necessarily because he does not have hold of oil. As follows. Amar Papa, the Dilma Adkan Lokama Rabbi Eliezer, Hasam Dabrin Hoil. It could be that when Rabbi Eliezer says that you can bake it, it's not because of hoil, because maybe in the typical case of hoil, we say, right, hoil, um, that Orchem are going to come, right, is a different case. Why? Because the only time he'll say hoel is hella is ella de beidna de kaili la tanura kol chad vechad yechazilili diday, right? In other words, when you say maybe guests are going to come, right? So you're going to be able to what to potentially use up every morsel of food that you're cooking, right? So in a situation where every single loaf of bread or every single matzah that you're baking is going to be fit. For eating, so there he's going to say hoel. Maybe somebody's going to come and eat this. Right, but but here, right, there aren't any guests, right, and so the question is, right here, the baked food is not fit for himself, right? So maybe there we're not going to apply. Hoil, right? In other words, um, right? Any, right? Every, any individual chala in theory could be mutter, right? But at the, but at the end of the day, right? The actual chala, they're not all going, we know that for sure they're not all going to be mutter. So in other words, what, uh, what Papa is saying that maybe Rabbi Eliezer will only hold that you can bake it, right? Uh, despite the fact that he, does not hold of hoil, right? In the case of hoil, he's saying, maybe the orchin will come, maybe the orchin will not come. So then he's not going to say hoil, right? But in the case of the challah, each individual bread could in fact be kosher. So again, you're baking the challahs and you could say that each and each and as you bake each challah, just to clarify, because I think I said it a little jumbled. <clears throat> But the Ezra holds that you can bake the matzah, right? So when Rabbi Ezra holds that he bake, that you can bake the matzah, each individual matzah as he's baking it can in fact be kosher. So you know, right, can in fact be kosher. And that's why perhaps he allows you to bake it. Every single one of these can be kosher. And then that's all that we care about. We're not waiting on this theoretical idea of guests coming. That's the point. But, so, in other words, it could be that he has his own reason why he allows you to bake each matzah, because each matzah individually is a permissible occurrence. However, he, re- he rejects the idea of hoel because that is too theoretical. 
we don't know that the orchim are necessarily going to come. So maybe the fact that Rebbe Yezer allows you to bake the matzah is not, in fact, a reflection of the fact that he holds of oil, but simply because he has his own cheshbon, right, irrespective of oil, right? That's what it means. Right? So means that he's baking so much and he could never possibly eat this entire thing on his own. The only way he could eat these chalas is if Orchim actually shows up. So Rabbi Yezer isn't going to rely on Orchim, these theoretical Orchim, in order to allow the matzah. Just, in other words, the fact that the Orchim are going to come doesn't move the needle for Rabbi Yezer. That's too theoretical. As opposed to the fact that each one of these matzahs, as he's baking them, could in fact be kosher. That's what moves Rabbi Yezer to say that baking the matzah is kosher. Okay. And the flip side is, 11 lines down here in the wide, is also true, which is Amar of Shisha Bereder of Edi, Vidil Malohi, Adkan Lokam of Yeshua, Hasam de Lamin Hoyle, right? El Dika Chada de Lachazulolo de Devilola Orchim. The flip side is also true. In other words, Rami Barchama recommended, he suggested, right, that Rabbi Yeshua, who says you can't bake this, was because he doesn't hold of Hoyle. So he says, wait, wait a minute. Maybe over there in the Mishnah, we don't apply hoil. Why? Because we know that in that, in that bat, there is actually one challah that is fit neither for him or for visitors. Whereas in the case, right, of where you're doing hoil, maybe there he would say hoil, right? In other words, the flip side is also true. Again, so before we said, the Rebbe says we could bake it, he holds of Hoel, and Rabbi Yeshua says, who, you can't bake it, doesn't hold of Hoel. Now we're saying, no, maybe Rebbe Yezus says you can bake it because of a different reason. A Hoel himself, itself wouldn't be enough for the reason we, we mentioned before, because these, it's too theoretical, the guests aren't going to come. The flip side is also true. Yeshua, who doesn't want you to bake it, the reason he, wants you, he doesn't want you to bake it is not because he doesn't hold of this idea of Orchim. Halavai, if he thought that Orchim might come, he, for, he, he might let you bake it for that. Because at least if Orchim came, in the, in the, in the case of where we're, right, of where, of let's say shechting an animal, where we're concerned about Hoel, there he would let you actually shecht the animal because it is quite possible that guests do, will come. And if guests do come, then in fact, everything that you're, every challah that you're baking, so to speak, will be eaten. Right? Every single one of them is fit for consumption. But here, Right? Why does Rabbi Shur not let you bake it? Because we know for sure that one of these matzahs is being baked and is not even going to be fit for consumption. Regardless of whether it's for you or for the Orchim, this matzah is, is not going to be uh, allowed to be eaten at all. It's Tame Chala. You can't have something that's Mafesh Chala that's Tame. Nobody could eat that. So again, that's what he says over here. That maybe in the case, right, where you're baking Right, for, for after Yantiv. So again, if the conundrum is that you have Chala Tameya that you're taking off, maybe there Rabbi Yeshua won't allow you because one of these matzahs is for sure not fit. As opposed to if what you were doing was doing a baking from Yantiv, let's say to Shabbos, because, and you're baking pure Chalas that everyone can eat. So even though the Orchim are theoretical and they're not here yet, at least we know that every one of these Chalas that you're baking is going to be consumable. And that is why, um, and, and in that case of Hoel, Rabbi Yeshua would in fact allow it. So again, even though he may not allow it with the Chalatameya, perhaps Rabbi Yeshua would allow it when you're talking about baking me 
Shab from Yantiv to Shabbos. So the basically what we're saying is Rabbi Bahama's suggestion that the case of Khalatameab Yantiv and the case of baking Khalas from Yantiv to Shabbos are comparable and they both are generated by the principle of Hoel is been rejected by Rav Papa and now by Rav Shisha Bereder of Idi. Neither Rabbi Eliezer or Rabbi Yeshua have to necessarily, in our Mishnah, be fueled, as it were, by the principle of Hoel. Okay. So, so now there was a dialogue in the Beis Medrash that erupted about Rami Barchama's suggestion about this about this um, linkage of the Machlokas Rabbi Eliezer Yeshua in our Mishnah. To the Machlokas Rabban of Chista of Hoel, as follows: Amru Rabbanon Kameder Yirmiyah Verebizera. So they're discussing in the base Medrash, and all the Rabbanon bring this question before Rabbi Yirmiyah and Rabbi Zera, and they're talking about it. Rabbi Yirmiyah Kibla and Rabbi Zera Lo Kibla. Isn't that fascinating? Rabbi Yirmiyah liked Rami Barchamas Pshat, and Rabbi Zera did not like Rami Barchamas Pshat. So Amalei Rabbi Yirmiyah Rabbi Zera. So Rabbi Yirmiyah, who liked Rami Barchamas Pshat, says to Rabbi Zera, Milsa de Kashilon. The Asya Kama Shane, the Mai Pligi Rabbi Eliezer Rabbi Yeshua. He says, he says, Rabbi Zera, why are you rejecting Rami Barchamas Pshat? For years and years and years, we're sitting in the base Medrash, breaking our head, trying to figure out what the Nakudas of Machlokas in our Mishnah between Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yeshua is. Right? Rabbi Eliezer says, bake the matzahs. Rabbi Yeshua says, let the dough rise. And we couldn't figure out what their Nakuda Samachlokas was. And Hashta Amrumish made the Gavra Rabba. And now we have shot. We finally have shot from a Gavra Rabba. At this point, Shira Schmidman is doing cartwheels, right? Because her man, Rami Barchama, was referred to by Ramirmiya as a Gavra Rabba. And he says, So you hear from Gavra Rabba, the Loni Kabla, and we're not gonna accept? We're not gonna accept his shot? He's like, I've been thirsting, right? Isn't this an amazing idea? I've been thirsting for pshat here as to what the Nakudas and Machlokas is between Rabbi Yezer and Rabbi Yeshua and our Mishnah. And finally we got pshat from Rami Barhama. You got a, a, a Gadol Bisral giving you pshat. And you're going to say, nah, I don't like that pshat. How can you not accept it? To which Rabbi Zeher responds, I'm a lay. How can I accept this pshat? The Tanina, I have a Brisa that rejects the pshat for me. I'm a lay, Rabbi Yeshua. In the Brisa, Rabbi Yeshua said, that according to your opinion that says that you bake all the chalas on Yantiv, you're over of um, the malacha of baking. In other words, Rabbi Yeshua, we have a Brisa that is a continuation of our Mishnah. Our Mishnah just says the Shita. Rabbi Yehuda says you can right, bake it. Rabbi Yeshua says that you have to leave it. And then there's a Brisa that records a conversation between Rabbi Yeshua and Rabbi Yezer afterwards. So what happened was Rabbi Yeshua said to Rabbi Yezer, he said, according to your opinion, that you could bake all the chalas, you're over los asakal malacha. Why? Because one of the chalas that you're baking is not, is in fact not for ochal nefesh. One of the chalas that you're baking is a malacha where for, of, of baking something that's going to be inedible. So that was the conversation to which Rishasakle, and the way the Bryson records the conversation with Yezer and Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Yezer was silent. Okay, which Rabbi Zera assumed was an indication of a tacit agreement. The Isa, right, and if this whole Rami Barhama idea that it is based on the principle of Hoel, and that that's why Rabbi Yezer lets you bake the chalas, so then So then instead of being silent at Rabbi Yeshua's 
right, uh, question, Rabbi Yezer could have simply said, well, the re- I don't think that I'm over lo sasa because simply I hold of the principle of hoel. Okay, in other words, I don't think that we bake the matzah, an inedible matzah, and we're over on this avera, because I hold of hoel, and therefore because I hold of hoel, I, in fact, am baking all these matzahs with a permissive, right, in, with permission. Well, the fact that he didn't say that must mean, says, uh, right, must mean, uh, says Rabbi Yirmiya, I'd rather Rabbi Zera. Rabbi Zera rejects it. Who rejects Rabbi Barhama. Rabbi Zera says the fact that Riliezer did not answer that and was silent, seemingly in tacit agreement of the kasha that Rabbi Shua asked on him must be an indication that Rabbi Yezer does not hold of Hoel. To summarize, Rabbi Zera is saying that Rabbi, Rabbi um, Eliezer, had he held of Hoel, would have had an answer for Rabbi Yeshua in the Brisa. Okay, but Rabbi Yirmiya says, no, I don't understand. Rabbi Zayir, you think just because it says in the Brisa that Eliezer was silent, do you think that that means that he agreed that this person is doing something wrong when he's baking the matzah according to Eliezer? That doesn't sound right. As follows, according to your reasoning that this silence represents a tacit agreement, how do you understand the following Brisa? We learn the Brisa the following. Well, we also have a Brisa. We don't have just have a Brisa where Rabbi Yeshua challenges Rabbi Yezer. We also have a Brisa where Rabbi Yezer challenges Rabbi Yeshua. And in that Brisa, Rabbi Yezer said to Rabbi Yeshua, according to your opinion, right, where you designate a piece of dough as chala, right, and then you don't end up baking it, you're going to be over by your matzah, right? This dough is going to rise. And we said before in the Mishnah, okay, maybe Rabbi Shua is going to say that he doesn't own it, but at least Rabbi Yezer, who said that you baked it, right, each, it's a real conundrum, right? Each side has a real problem. Rabbi Yezer has the problem of maybe you're baking matzahs that are inedible on Yantiv and therefore over a malacha. And, and Rabbi Yeshua has the problem that maybe by leaving over this dough to leaven, you are violating by Rabbi Matzah. Well, in the recounting of that price of Ishasakle, Rabbi Shua, in answer to Rabbi Yezer's challenge, was also silent. So what are you going to say, says Rabbi Yirmiya? You're going to say that there too, that the reason why he didn't answer him was because he didn't think that that was Bali Yorav Matzah? It can't be. Why? Because in our very Mishnah, right? In our very Mishnah, Rabbi Yeshua says to Rabbi Yezer, that this is not the chametz where we're warned by by Rabbi Matze. So we see that Rabbi Yeshua, in fact, had an answer in our very Mishnah, right? Rabbi Yeshua has to answer how we're not over by Rabbi Matze, and he explains that it's because the matzah isn't his. But in the but in the record of the Brisa, there is no record of Rabbi Yeshua giving that response. Uh huh. Get it, Andrew? In other words, the point is Rabbi Yeshua being silent in the Brisa is not an indication that he was stumped by Rebbe Yezer. Because we see in our Mishnah that he was not stumped by Rebbe Yezer. So similarly, Rebbe Yezer being silent in the Brisa doesn't have to be an indication that he was stumped by Rebbe Yeshua. He could have had an answer. It's just not recorded in the Brisa. That's all. Ah. And you're going to say the fact that he's silent in the Brisa is a whole riot. That he doesn't have a whole oil. That doesn't sound right. Says the Gemara, Hachanami, Emer Shasik Levin Masnisin, Achriti. We can say Rebbe Yezer was silent in the Brisa. That's fine. Or, right, but... 
his silence is not an indication of a tacit agreement. Rather, we'll find it in Mechilta Achriti. Some other collection of Bryce's we'll find that Rabbi Yezer, in fact, also had an answer. Okay. Fine. So now, eight lines up from the bottom of Memches and Aleph, we're going to discuss what is the halacha, halacha lemaisa, with respect to the machlokas in our Mishnah. So Tanya, the Bryce says, Rabbi Omer halacha Rabbi Yezer, Rabbi Yitzchak Omer halacha b'kivem v'seira. Right? Anytime we had a Bechina uh, in school, in high school, whenever they would ask, what's the, what's the halacha? It's always the safest answer to say, it's a machlokas. Then you just leave it at that. If you don't know the answer, I'm saying. Anyway, so, Rebbe held like Rebbe Leezer, that you bake it before you separate it. Rebbe Yitzchak says, the halachas v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'
Right, the relationship of the of the good wheat uh, to the good to the bad wheat is more. Um, as, in other words, when you have wheat, if the wheat is poor wheat, that's going to affect the ratio more than if you have bad barley as opposed to good barley. Right, the ilu hasam riva because in one the difference between one of the two qualities is one third, and here with respect to the barley the difference is one fourth, and that kind of stands to reason. Because, right, so again, we have a depreciation issue here. That stands to reason because barley, even in its best state, is not that great. So I'm not surprised, right? Like the best thing is the refined, high-quality wheat. That's what we like to use the best. That's going to leaven the fastest. But barley, like, okay, so high-quality, low-quality barley, barley is always considered a slightly lower quality, and therefore... Um, the, the drop-off isn't as great when you're talking about the lower-quality barley. Okay. So now, a related halacha here. I'm a Rav. It's interesting, because we had machlokas here of Tanaim. Uh, and then Rav, who's a Tanahu Palig, right? Rav, who's like an Amor on such a high level that he is uh, entitled to his opinion when it comes to these things. So he says a totally different opinion. Kaba milogna lepischa. How much is the maximum that you're allowed to need uh, for Pesach, it's a Kav Melogna. I don't know where Melogna is, but that's the name of the place. Um, okay? And so the Halachic is the Kav of Melogna. V'chein l'chala. And in, interestingly, there is an intersection of these two things again. Chala also, right? There's a minimum amount that you have to have for Chala and a maximum amount that you can have for, um, for Matzah. This is going to be relevant because don't forget, you have to be mafresh, chala, and matzah also. So isn't it interesting, Andrew, that the minimum amount of dough that you need for chala is the maximum amount that you're allowed to bake with matzah so as not to be machmitz. How are you ever going to be mafresh chala on the matzah, right? You can't, you can't, be, right? you can't do that exact amount, so what are you going to do? So let's see. So it says, Vahatanya, really, um, right, they amended over here. They said it should be Tnan, because this is an explicit Mishnah in Mesechas Chala. As we turn to Mesechas base, it says, Chameshes Ravayim Kemach Vaod Chayavin Bechala. Well, we, it doesn't say, in, it is often a Mishnah in, in Chala, that it doesn't say it's a Kav Milgna. It says that it's what? Chameshes Ravayim, five quarters of a Kav, which means a, a, a Kav and a quarter. Chayavin bechala. That's what. That's the minimum shear for chiyuv and chala. So what's this kav melogna business? So Gemara says no. Hachikamar kav melogna. Naimi a high shear kai. Kav melogna is a kav and a quarter. If you uh, want to take the time, because we we have uh, only ten minutes left to do Ahmed Bayes. Ahmed Bayes goes fast, but not that fast because there's a history lesson in this first Rashi, long Rashi, and Ches Ahmed Bayes. That says the history of the lug and the history of these shiurim, right? It's not like a metric, whatever, a metric uh, kilo that's always been the same since the beginning of man. These are lugim and kavim that have changed historically. So he takes you through it. That there's the midbarim. They had the they had the kav of the midbar and the lugim of of then of Yerushalayim and then the lug of tzipori. And over time, the the actual measurement changed. According to the socioeconomics of the time. It's a very fascinating history lesson that Rashi gives you to account for some of the discrepancies in these shiurim. How you could say, well, a kav in Melognia is the kav and a quarter 
of the Tzipori, right? You have to reconcile that because that's how the Gemara just reconciled it. So how would you be able to reconcile it? It's not, so you can't say like a kilo here is a kilo and a quarter there. This doesn't have to do with like gravity, like a kilo on the moon is like a kilo in, 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 on earth. This has to do with the, the fact that these things were a little bit more fluid than what we're used to, right? These, uh, these measurements changed in, according to time and place. Okay, very fascinating. Okay, now, okay. Uh, three lines down in Melchizedek Beis. We're talking about the maximum number of people that you could have at one time making dough on Pesach in the matzah baking. Amar Yosef, Hani Nashi Didan. Our women nog lamefa kafiza kafiza lepischa. They bake no more than three quarters of a kav, otherwise known as a kafiza, at a time. Okay, right. So even though they could do a kav or a kav and a quarter, they only do three quarters of a kav. They try to be most efficient. And so Amale Abaye Abaye asks Rabbi Yosef, "My daitoch lechumra? Why are they doing this? They're being machmir, or they think it's maker adin? That if this is a chumra, chumra dasi they kulahu. This is a, one of those chumras that can also is a kula on the other end. Why? There it is. That's what we said. There's a maximum shear that they're willing to use dough in order to 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 avoid chimuts. But there's also a minimum shear of dough for which you have to be mafresh chala." So by being extra machmir with the mechametz issue, they're actually avoiding being mafresh chala. That chumra turns into a kula with respect to hilchas chala. To which Yosef responds, "No, I'm a lay. The abdin kerbeliyazer. The tnan. Then no, they they hold like kerbeliyazer. Kerbeliyazer. Right in the Mishnah. This Mishnah has to be in chala. Yeah, it is in the second paragraph of chala. Ah, you don't have to be mafresh chala in the dough stage. You could do it in the baked." Stage as long as it's still nice and hot and fresh, you bake the loaves, put them in the basket, and a salamid star from the challah. And the basket, even though it's individual rolls or matzahs or whatever it is, it just the fact that they're together in the basket, they all add up to the shear, and that is where you get the minimum shear. So even though each individual challah is going to be three quarters of a kav, you put them all together, and it comes out to many kavan, you can be mafresh challah. And in fact, we hold like him. And in fact, Rashi quotes this the halacha. And this is how we do do it. That's how we're mafresh chala on matzah. So Amalei, the Ha'itmar la, Amir Bishur ben Levi, lo shanu aleki karsha babal, shanosh chazumizu. Didn't Rabbi Shur ben Levi say that this whole idea of adding up all the individual chalas in the basket has to do only with the Babylonian loaves? With nosh chazumizu just means that they are sort of like, they're like, uh, kind of twisted up in a way where they combine with each other because they fit like puzzle pieces in the basket. Aval ka'achin lo, but the narrow, long narrow ones, Right, that just looks like baguettes. Since they don't combine, there he's not going to let you bring challah. So Rabbi Yosef says no. Regarding that specific issue, Rabbi Chanina says No, he said even though the baguettes are fine, you can be mafresh challah on them as long as they're together in the basket. Now the Gemara has an interesting shaila. Says, does it have to be like a basket, or can it also be like a challah board, like a flat? But Rabbi That's what that means. Just right, just like a plata. Or like a challah board that has no vertical uh, vertical rim, is that enough to combine all of these challahs for right for the freshest challah? So Yirmi explains tochli ba'ina v'haleika odilma avirkli ba'ina v'haika. In other words, he talks you through the anatomy of the shaila. Are we saying that it's it's like because they're all internal to the kli and therefore that's what combines them? That would mean that that it would not work because this is not this doesn't have that kind of in, inner airspace. Or do you consider like the kli as if it goes all the way up to the sky and then just putting on a challah board would in fact um, 
combine them? Take who? The Gemara says, no, we'll, we'll wait for Mashiach to resolve that answer. Until then, just put it in a basket. Don't put it on a flat plane um, board. And in a related bride, so Tanya, everybody has her Omer, Hasal Mitztarfan, the basket does combine the separate loaves. Hashua Omer, Tanur Mitztarfan, that in the oven, right, even if they're not afterwards placed in the basket, he's more mekil with regards to challah. As long as they were all baked in the same oven, that's going to be allowed. So that really works, right? You're doing each individual matzah is going to be, let's say, three quarter of a kabin worth of dough, but they're all together in the tanur. That's enough for fresh challah. And that's where we got the idea of the kikaras shel bavel. We have the Mishnah over here. We have five minutes. Let's see. The Mishnah is going to discuss more matzah baking alachas. You have several women baking matzahs on Pesach. They're using a small oven, right? And so they have a whole system. Three women at a time can go, the office, batanur, achazu, achazu, right? And they bake in the oven one after the other. So it means that each one is baking their own bread, but they're using the oven, they're waiting one after the other. So that's the maximum number of women that could do it. In other words, they're not doing it all together. One woman's going to use the oven, then, the, then when she's done the next one, and when she's done the next one, there's three women's worth of time in the oven is enough time to get in there without uh, problems of chimuts. If these three women are doing the batzek achas, then you can't just go one after the other. That's too dangerous. So you have to have a system. You have to do it like we do it when we go matzah baking. One person is kneading, one person is spreading it out with the spreader and the, and the hole maker, and the other one is baking, and you just keep rotating. And that's the way you're going to avoid chimots. But you can't just go one after the other. That's, we don't, there's not enough time. Says, what kind of categorical machlokas is this? Every case is so individual, is so different. Some women are faster than others, right? Some some tanurim are, are hotter than others. This is so case specific. To which the Mishnah concludes, Well, if the dough swells, then you could just moisten your hands with cold water, and then you can undo the chimutz process. So now the Gemara says, Tanur Rabbanan, fleshing out this uh, question, right? Let's say the woman, she's kneading the bread and she shapes it. And then her friend is kneading another dough in her place. And then the first woman, right, that, that shaped it, she's the one that bakes it. So you could have two women and they're switching off. It's just, you know, explaining the anatomy of, of these matzah baking. And the third woman starts baking again. And then the first woman that baked her dough, she goes back around, and they're running around, and this is how they're doing this procedure of baking the matzahs, where everybody's going to their stations and running from station to station. Then, here it doesn't mean it means uh, a rotation, like, like a machol, like a circle dance, right? So they basically take stations and they rotate, literally. As long as everyone is occupied with the dough at the same time, you're never going to have the issue of chilutz, and that's fine. So then the Gemara quotes that Rabbi Kiva said in the Mishnah, Rabbi Kiva, my local Anashim, Rabbi Kiva said, why are we saying these categorical halachas? Three women, not three women. I mean, every case is so different. So Tanya, I'm a Rabbi Kiva. We have a Brisa where Rabbi Kiva says, Danti lifnei Rabban Gamliel. I said to Rabbi Gamliel, and I said, He says, tell me how you can come up with a categorical answer to this. I mean, 
I asked in my Rebbe, it says Rebbe Akiva, some women are fast, some women are slow. Some wood is, is wet, some wood is dry, and therefore it burns faster. Some ovens are hotter than others. So how can you have a categorical issue? So Rebbe Gamaliel actually had an answer for this, what seemingly great question. Armali, he answered me, Look at the end of the Mishnah. The Mishnah says that no matter how you do it, at the end of the day, all that matters is that when you see the dough rising, you just put in cold water and you stop it from rising. And therefore, you can always do that. And so you don't have to make a categorical issue. You could just always handle it in real time. So we made it up to the bottom mission over here on Rechesimid Bay's.